Is there ever a time you ever felt like that? <laughs> when I was working with the city of Gallatin, the utilities, I, I got transferred over one time to a, a, a different crew, and, and this crew uh, dealt with a lot of equipment. And to do the work that needed to be done every day, this equipment needed to be set up and put together. And it was a three-man crew. had the foreman. He did his thing. And this other fellow, he did his thing. And then I'd have my part of it to put together before we could do the work that needed to be done during the day. So it's the first day on the job. And, and of course, I didn't really know what my responsibilities were at that point. But uh, the foreman gives me this list of things. This is what you got to put together. And it was pretty simple. Pretty simple. Do these things. He said, do them in order. And he said, i got to go do my things. He's going to go do his things. And about an hour from now, all this should be done, and, and we can start our work today. I said, okay. And I got looking at it, and, okay, that's simple enough. That's simple. You know, wait a minute. If you change the order around a little bit, this could be done much more efficiently. Yeah. So I got doing the things that was on that list, except not in the order that he gave me. And to make a long story short, a little bit later, here comes the supervisor. He wondered why we were not wor uh, working yet. <laughs> the reason was uh, was having to fix some broken equipment because someone didn't do everything in the right order. And so he comes up to me, Doug, what, what's this about? And I, and I go, well, I thought if I changed this around, things would be more efficient. It would just be a better way of doing it. And he said, that's what you get for thinking. Have you ever been in a conversation like that? Maybe on either end. I've been on both ends of that conversation. I've had others to tell me, that's what you get for thinking. And there's some times I've had to tell someone else, that's what you get for thinking. When somebody knows what they're talking about, we need to listen to them and follow their ways and, and leave the thinking to them. And that's certainly true when it comes to the Word of God. You know, Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word of God is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And we need to... Uh, take care of the Word of God. Let the Word of God lead us with the thoughts that we have. Uh, let the Word of God lead us and show us how that we are to follow God. This morning, I'd like to go through several Bible stories and then get to the point of our lesson today. There were people in the Bible whose thinking was not right, good people of the Bible. One of them was Abraham. Now, he was a good man, wasn't he? But we read in Genesis chapter 12 of a particular story as Abraham and his family, they're all, they're all traveling. They're going to the place that God is going to show them. And they come across this king by the name of Abimelech. And so Abraham tells King Abimelech that Sarah is his sister instead of saying that she is his wife. It was kind of a half-truth. She was a half-sister to him. But in reality, the closer relationship was she was the wife. But he says, she is my sister. So Abimelech takes Sarah from Abraham and his family. Well, now that evening as, uh, as Abimelech is sleeping, the Lord comes to him and speaks to him and tells him that Sarah is Abraham's wife. What have you done? You've taken this man's wife. And Abimelech says, he told me that she is his sister. And, and I took her out of the integrity of my heart. I, I didn't mean to do anything wrong to offend God. And God tells Abimelech, calm down. It's okay. It's all right. 
Because I know your heart. And I, I know that you didn't mean any ill will. I know you didn't mean to do anything wrong. But you need to take her back tomorrow because she is the wife of a prophet. So the next morning, Abimelech does that. But he comes back, but you know, he's upset. He is very angry with Abraham. You know, what have you done to me? You almost got me in trouble with God. You don't want to do that. I don't want to be in trouble with God. Why have you done this? And Abraham says, I thought the fear of God was not in this place and you will slay me. That was Abraham's answer. Abraham thought wrong, didn't he? Abimelech turned out that he was a God-fearing person. He would not have slayed Abraham. You know, Abraham was counted as a man of faith. But just like all of us, he had his moments where that faith wavered just a little bit. And perhaps this would be one of those times his faith wavered. God told him, I'm going to take you to a place that I'll show you. You you know, you're going to be the father of, of many nations. And Why can't Abraham just stand up and tell the truth? And let people know, yes, this is my wife. God's going to take care of us through these situations. But he didn't, and he thought wrong in this situation. Then we go to Judges chapter 14 and 15. Here's another Bible story. Samson. Samson marries a Philistine wife. So we read about that a little bit. And then we find out that during chapter 14... This is where Samson presents this riddle to 30 friends that he has. He says, I have a riddle for you. And if if you can answer this riddle within seven days, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you can't answer the riddle, then you've got to bring it to me. You've got to bring me 30 linen garments. Garments and 30 changes of clothes. If you cannot answer this in seven days. And he had this very tough riddle and they couldn't answer it. So they go to this Philistine wife of Samson. And they threaten her to get the answer from Samson. And so she works toward doing that. And before the seven days is up, she succeeds. She gets the answer from Samson. She tells them and they come and give Samson the answer to the riddle. The problem was... Samson knew how they got the answer. Samson had a little bit of a temper. (laughs) And so he becomes very angry about this. He is just furiated with this. In fact, to give these people their 30 uh, linen garments and their 30 changes of clothes, he goes out and kills 30 other men to get those items and to bring it back to them. He's furiated with what happened. So in the meantime, here's... His wife's father, the father-in-law, whew, he's really mad at my daughter. So he, ta- he goes and takes the daughter and gives the daughter to another companion. Well, what happens after that is Samson finally calms down. And he comes home and there's no wife. Where's she at? <laughs> he goes to the father-in-law and inquires, and here's what he says, I thought you hated her, so I gave her away. (laughs) Just like that. Well, now Samson's infuriated again. This is where he went. uh, He goes and he, he captures 300 foxes, ties their tails together, sticks a torch in their tails, and put them out in the grain field. And they burn up all these grain fields. 
That's how angry Samson was by this. And that's because the father-in-law thought this. You know, husbands, wives, we, we get infuriated with each other from time to time or two, don't we? We get over it. And perhaps maybe the father-in-law maybe could have figured that out, but he didn't. And his wrong thinking caused a little bit more calamity there. Well, in 2 Kings chapter 5, we know about the story of Naaman, the leper. Oh, we've heard that one many times. He had that leprosy and his wife's maid tells him, you know, you go to the prophet down there in Israel and he heals people. That prophet happened to be Elisha. So he comes to the door of that prophet, Elisha. But Elisha didn't come to the door. He sends his servant to the door. And the servant says to Naaman to go to the Jordan River, do what? You dip seven times and you'll be cleansed of your leprosy. So Naaman goes away, and now he's upset about this. This, this. this did not work to his satisfaction. He said, I thought he would come out and call on his God, strike me with his hand, and I would be healed. That's what Naaman thought would happen. That's what he pictured in his mind. I go up to the door, Elisha will come out and he'll do that, and I'm healed. And he's kind of griping about that and complaining about that. And if he wants me to go dip in some water... Why not go back home where the water's clean, not that old muddy Jordan River? But you remember one of the servants said to him, you know, if he'd given you some great thing to do, wouldn't you go and do it? Got him thinking about it a little bit. And so finally he goes down to the Jordan River and he dips. Six times he comes up. He still got the leprosy, but he went down that seventh time. He came up and we find that he was healed. But along the way, he thought it was going to be a different way. Not what he expected from a man of God. One more little story to share along the way. And that's in Acts chapter 15. This is uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas. They were getting ready to go on their second missionary journey. They had been on one, and, and they had established churches in many cities. Many good things had taken place. Now let's go out and see how the churches are doing. Let's make a second trip. Barnabas says, good, good. That's a good idea. Let's take John Mark with us. But we find that Paul thought it was not good to take him with him, Mark with them. Acts 15, verse 38. Paul didn't think it was a good idea. The thing was, Mark was with them on their first journey, and somewhere along the way, he kind of quit them. He gave up. I don't want to take him along. If he goes along and he quits, I just can't stand it. I don't want to do that. The Scripture says that Paul and Barnabas got into a dispute over this. And with that dispute, that Paul finally takes Silas and goes on his way, Barnabas took John Mark with him, and they go a different way. Now, actually, good came out of this. Because you got Paul and Silas going on their journey and they're taking care of, of many good things. But now you got Barnabas and Mark going on a second trip. We don't know exactly where they went. The Bible didn't tell us about their journey. But we know that they also journeyed and went their way and, and certainly must have done much good along the way. But Paul just didn't think Mark would do the job. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, many years later, Paul is writing to Timothy. We find that Paul says, Bring to me John Mark because he is profitable for me, or profitable to me. 
We find out apparently that Mark kind of strengthened up himself and, and he became true to the Word even to the point that Paul admit, admitted in later years that John Mark is profitable. He's good to go out and you can depend on him doing the work of the Lord. And so Paul's thought on that particular day happened to be a wrong thought. A couple of other times, we find that Joseph thought about putting away Mary, Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. You know, he finds out that Mary is with child. He knows it wasn't his child. And the right thing to do, being he's a righteous man, is to put her away. But we find in the verses after that that the angel tells him that she's conceiving by the Holy Spirit. Again, being a righteous man, he understands what's about to take place. At least he understands that he needs to keep her. He understands that something godly is about to happen. He knows that much. And so he put that thought out of his mind of putting her away. It's good that he did that. A good righteous thought that way. Later on, we find Saul of Tarsus. Or let's uh, say the Apostle Paul. Paul says, I thought to myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And when he is saying to that, when he's saying that, he's thinking back to the days when he was Saul of Tarsus. He's reflecting back to the, the things that we read about at the very end of Acts chapter 7 when he was holding the coats of those that were stoning Stephen. And then in Acts chapter 8, when we find that he was persecuting the church and, and he was dragging men to, and women to prison because of their Christianity. And in chapter 9, he was on his way to Damascus to do more of the same. He thought to himself that he ought to do things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. But we read that story in Acts chapter 9 of how the Lord visited him on, on the way and blinded him with a great bright light. And because of that, we find that he knew what he needed to do. He wasn't saved on that road to Damascus because we find that he went on into the city. There he'd be told what to do. And once he got there, Ananias told him what to do. Told him to rise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And so he now realizes that the thought that he had was the wrong thought. Now here's our lesson today. There's some thinking today among many people in our society. There's some people that thinks that one church is as good as another. Have you heard people say that? One church is as good as another. It doesn't matter. You can be here this morning at Fountainhead Church of Christ, worship with us. That's just well and fine. There's another building down the road that's meeting, I think, right now. You could go down there if you want to. That, that'd be just as good. And out here in the Portland area, there's all kinds of buildings that has the name church in front of them. And you can go and you can worship with them. These churches are doing many, many different things inside. And they, they have different kinds of setups. And we need to be concerned about, the, about these things. You know, uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. 
Jesus tells us very plainly He's going to build His church. One church. When we think about the day of Pentecost, it wasn't the day that, that, the church, that the churches began. It was the day that the church began. When we study throughout the, the New Testament Scriptures, we find that Paul established the church in Corinth. He established the church over in Ephesus. The church was established in Antioch. The church was established in Samaria. The church was established. The church. They didn't go and start churches. Jesus built His church. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus tells us that all power is given unto Him. All authority is given to Jesus. That's what we studied in our Bible study this morning. As we study about the life of Jesus, we're understanding that God has given Him all authority. And we need to respect the authority that comes from Jesus Christ. It's His church. It's His church to do as He sees fit to do with His church. But He only does, again, what the Father has given Him. And so we have all these churches today that, that have ignored or have, have altered the authority of Jesus Christ. We have churches today that are not led by an eldership. Instead, they have a pastor. Well, our elders are pastors, but we find in the Scriptures that we're, have to, we're to be led by a plurality of pastors, elders, shepherds, Bishops, these words, overseers, are all used in the same idea of the leadership of the church. It's supposed to be godly men who have the uh, correct qualifications according to the Word of God, not by our thinking, but by the authority that's given to us by the Word of God. But yet we have churches that are led by that pastor. We have churches that have a pastor or pastors that might be of the female persuasion. <laughs> they may have deacons that are women. They may have someone speaking in the pulpit this morning, such as I am, that are women. You're going, Brother Doug, what do you, what do you have against women? <laughs> Nothing. But the Word of God doesn't authorize women preaching in the public assembly. The Word of God has no Scriptures that talk about women elders or women deacons. It's not given to us. For us to set up women to, to lead in this kind of way is, is doing something by our own thinking than doing it by the authority of the Word of God. And we can't do it that way. So we come to the house of worship somewhere today, and we might also find, uh, instead of a pulpit area like this, we might find a little choir loft back behind us. And we got people back here singing in this choir. Well, let's look at the Scripture for that. Oh, wait a minute. I, I can't because I don't have one. Someone's thinking put that together. Man's thoughts said it would be nice. You know, not everybody out here can carry a tune like, like we, uh, we would like for them to, so we're going to find the ones that can carry a tune. We'll just put them up here in this little choir loft and let them sing for you. And maybe we can put a few little musical instruments down here to, to kind of uh, embellish that a little bit. Where is that found in the Bible? Nowhere. That's man's thinking. 
The authority of God doesn't authorize these things. And so we got to watch out. We can go to another house of worship today and we will not find this bread or this fruit of the vine being served. When we do find that authorized, in, in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, we find on the first day of the week they came together for the breaking of bread. That was one of the purposes they, why they came. That's why they worshipped God. Or that's one of the things they did as they worshipped God, I should say. They came together for that. That is authorized. But yet some ignored that authorization from the Word of God. John 4.24 tells us that God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. A lot of churches have that spirit, but what about the truth part? Instead of worshiping God in truth, we're finding more of the entertainment mode in the worship today. And so we need to think about this. Do we want to follow the I thought mentality? Or do we want to follow the authority of the Scriptures to let us know what we should do? Man's thinking can lead us into a lot of trouble. Here's another thought that's in our society today. I thought baptism is not necessary for my salvation. Uh, If you got that thinking, your thinking is wrong according to the Scriptures once again. Mark chapter 16 Verse 16, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be condemned. It's important, yes, that we believe that Jesus is God's Son. And we find Scriptures that tell us the necessity also of repentance. Not too many people argue about those things. The concern comes with the baptism. And this scripture tells us that the belief and the baptism is what brings the salvation. And we must understand that the baptism is necessary. In Acts chapter 2 verse 38, that's where Peter said, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized. We've looked at this on many occasions. The question was asked, men and brethren, what shall we do? And that's the answer that they received. Repent and be baptized. 3,000 people obeyed that message on that day. And the Lord added to the church daily, those that were being saved, we find that others were obedient to that in the days that followed. We mentioned the Apostle Paul just a moment ago. Here he was, he thought it was good to be contrary to the teachings of Jesus Christ at one point, but he realized he was wrong when he was on that road to Damascus. People will contend that he was saved on that road to Damascus, but once again, what did Jesus tell him? He said, go into the city and there you will be told what to do. Why does he need to go into the city to be told what to do if he's already done it? He hadn't done it yet. He's got a belief. Oh, yes, he believes in Jesus now. (laughs) Jesus put him down on his knees. Jesus blinded him. He believes in Jesus. What about repenting? I think he's repenting too. He's realizing that his thought 
of, of persecuting the church was the wrong thought. That I need to be following Jesus. I need to be following the way. I need to be doing that. So he, he's got a belief. He's repenting. But he's still asking the question, what do I do? And he was told, go into the city and there you'll be told what to do. Ananias was the person that told him what to do. And as he was there with Ananias, we find in Acts 22 verse 16... Ananias said, Arise and be baptized to wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. He starts that out by saying, Why are you waiting? Why tarriest thou? If, if you want to know what to do, this is what you do. And you don't wait. You don't put it off. You've got to get it done. If you want your sins washed away, be baptized. That's what Ananias told him. He didn't say, arise and believe in the Lord and wash away your sins. He didn't say that. He didn't say, arise and and just straighten your life out. He said, arise and be baptized to wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And so he had that understanding. Romans chapter 6, verse 4 and 5 tells us very plainly that when we're baptized, we're baptized into the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are buried with Jesus and we come up as new creatures. When do we become the new creature? Before we go down into the water? No, when we come up out of the water. When we're resurrected from the water. When we're resurrected from the burial, we become a new creature. We become a new person in Jesus Christ after we've been baptized. And I think it's good to note that that when we're baptized, that it is a baptism for the remission of our sins. We need to understand that's the purpose of the baptism. The baptism is not to have us to be a part of the church, which we are added to the church. That's a byproduct of it. But the purpose is for the remission of our sins, that our sins are forgiven. And so we need to recognize that there's, there's the correct purpose for the baptism. And if we've been baptized for some other reason, we need to be baptized for the right reason. Galatians 3.27 tells us very simply that when we're baptized into Christ, we have put on Christ. So if our thinking that baptism is not necessary for our salvation, that's our thinking. That's our thoughts. And we need to have the thinking and the teaching of the Bible. I'd like to finish this morning with a couple of scriptures. One of them is Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 21. This is where Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Let that scripture get into you. Do you understand what Jesus is saying right here? If I'm understanding this scripture correctly, there's going to be people that's going to leave this earth thinking they're going to go to heaven. That's what they think. That's their thoughts. 
They've done some things that, that they thought was righteous before the eyes of God. And then they're going to stand there before Jesus, and He's going to say, depart from me because I never knew you. Now, I tell you, you know, in this life that we do some foolish things because of our thinking we might be embarrassed or, or it might cause some kind of consequences that's uncomfortable for people. But when we're thinking wrong about our soul salvation, we can lose our soul. We will lose our soul if our thinking's wrong. So we can't go by our thinking. We've got to go by the Word of God. This is our authority. Must be. And so there's these people. We prophesied. We cast out demons. We've done wonders in your name. And he says, I never knew you. So what about your thinking? Is your thinking right in the sight of God? Isaiah told us in the long ago, chapter 55, verse 7, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him, tur- let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Brethren, we cannot outthink God. In our soul salvation, in the church that we become a part of, we can have our thinking. But it's the authority of God that we must follow. Our thoughts must be the same thoughts that God has given us. We must follow that authority. So what are your thoughts this morning? What are you thinking? If you have a need to come, please do so as we stand and sing.